0: Thanks, James. And can I add my welcome to you all? It's great to see you all here tonight. A few years ago, I met a guy who everyone would have looked at and thought, wow, he is a success. He had a beautiful wife, he had three talented and interesting children. He was an excellent businessman who had got to the stage where his work was to buy failing businesses and turn them around and then sell them on for a massive profit. He had beautiful houses in London and Cheltenham and drove atop top of the range four by four. And that night he came to see me and he wasn't looking so chuffed with life. Life wasn't what he was expecting it to be at that point. And so after a while, I said to him, you know, Steve, what's going on? And he said to me, you know, do you know what? Last week, I sold a business for 14 million pounds profits. I thought that's quite impressive. Uh, Want to give me some? No, I didn't really say that. Uh, he said everything should be amazing, shouldn't it? But today my marriage broke up and all that is worthless. Steve, for all intents and purposes, had uh, abandoned at his wife and his family in his striving for success. He was in a really sad place is success all it's cracked up to be? And as Christians, how might we handle the culture of success that surrounds us? And that's what we're going to explore together tonight. But firstly, I just need to tell you that that slide is last time slide, not, my, not this time slide. Thank you. I got away from the upside. Brilliant. I think they were looking at the long, long, wrong week. So, Firstly, success isn't all about fulfilling your own dreams. It's achieving what you want, but also putting yourself in a position to receive the admiration of those around you. You cannot be successful in an island. You can only be successful because other people tell you you're a success, or compared to them, you are a success. A few centuries ago, uh, you may have been deemed successful by the number of children you had, Or the ability you had to fight in a battle. You might have been a success if you could feed all your children. Or perhaps if your house had an inside toilet. Today, our success isn't necessarily measured by those things. But our success is measured by things like the job that we have. The relationships that we have. Our house of your children, if you've got them. Your look. The amount of money you have. Maybe your academic prowess. Or ability to pass exams, your body, your ability at fitness, your ability to win or compete at something, your likes on Instagram or some other social media, the number of parties you get invited to or the friends that you have. Mass communication and social media and the, and the global village has had a huge effect on what success looks like today. Whereas not long ago, our success may have been measured by and compared to the people down our street, or our family, or the people in our village and our town. Our success is now measured against the other 7 billion people in the world that we live in, and this brings another huge layer of pressure on our lives. I'm sure when we think of success, we can all think of people that we think of as having success. I immediately think of people who perhaps have a a beautiful house, a great, fulfilling job that they really love and which enables them to have enough cash uh, just to relax in life and not to have to worry about money. I think of people who perhaps are married with children, maybe that's what you think of, Uh, and all their children are beautiful and clever and really, really talented, and they have a great group of friends, and they all go on holiday together, Uh, and this is what success often looks like in the world that we live in, and it can be a real threat to us, as well as something that we aspire to. So, the question is, is success wrong? In many ways, there is nothing wrong with success. Many of you will have, be presently striving for success in some area of your life, maybe in your academic studies, in your exams. Maybe you're striving for success in a relationship, or you've found success in some aspect of your life already. Maybe uh, in your work life, you're the top of your game, and you've found success in that or you've got a fulfilling relationship, or you're being paid well for something that you do. And so the pivotal question that needs to be asked is who or what is the God of your life? Who or what is the God of your life? Who is on the throne of your life? What or who is the most important thing in your life? Because how we answer this question is hugely important in terms of whether we're truly living our lives for Jesus or not. What or who is on the throne of your life? I wonder how you could answer that question. Is it your earning potential? Is it your money? Is it pleasure or entertainment? Is it cars or holidays? Is it having the admiration and acclaim of others? Is it Jesus? Who or what is the God of your life? The Bible makes it clear that this is the question that we need to be asking ourselves when we're thinking about success. If it's not Jesus, then something is out of kilter in our lives. And the Bible states clearly what God thinks about those things that are more important than than him. Uh, We go right to the beginning of the Bible. Well, not quite to the beginning, close to the beginning. The first two commandments are, you shall have no other God before me and you shall not make for yourself a false idol. It's pretty clear, straight away, God comes first. And as we reach the New Testament, Jesus declares that the two greatest commandments are these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with your heart and soul and mind. Love God with everything that you are, your whole self, not that little part of you left over when you've done loving your life, loving your car, loving your boyfriend, loving your academic mind, loving your work, loving money. Love God and love others. And that's something that James was reminding us of in our evening service a couple of weeks ago where he was reminding us that our purpose is to love God and love others. And then Jesus' teaching on wealth repeatedly reiterates the same point. You shall have no other gods before me. If your God is success, if your God is the trappings of wealth, then you need to get your priorities back in line. In Matthew uh, chapter 6, Jesus says... Do not lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. It's sort of of saying, don't hoard or stockpile treasure uh, on earth, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Wealth and success in and of themselves then are not wrong. But if you're possessed by your possessions, there's something wrong. Do you possess your possessions or do they possess you? Do you possess your possessions or do they possess you? In the fifth century, uh, a man named Aranias, some of you might have heard of him, uh, was determined to live an ascetic, holy life, and he abandoned the conforms of Egyptian society and followed an austere lifestyle living out in the desert, Uh, but every so often he'd come back to the city of Alexandria, and he spent time wandering through the bazaars in Alexandria, and asked why he explained that his heart rejoiced at the sight of all the things that he didn't need his heart rejoiced at the sight of all the things that he didn't need. Do you possess your possessions or do they possess you? Martin Luther also said, I've held many things in my hands and I've lost them all, but whatever I've placed in God's hands, that I still possess. As Christians, it's always helpful to see our possessions as not our own. We're simply stewards of God's resources. If we view our stuff like this, then we hold lightly to things that we've acquired through our success, rather than our possessions being the thing that we measure our success by. When I was growing up, we had very little money in our house. but I grew up in a home where the culture was that what we had, we shared with other people, and it sometimes went to sort of ridiculous extremes. Uh, my mum is one of the most generous people I've ever met. So random people were often at our dinner, par- uh, dinner table uh, at night. That was pretty normal. But I'd also come back to university and just find random people living in our house. Uh, like once I came home from university and didn't have a bedroom, uh, but there was a single mum that my mum had found somewhere who'd been chucked out of home, uh, and she was living with us and then there was a teenager living in my brother's bedroom who was struggling in his relationship with his parents So, mum had said, well, come and live with us for a while. It was a bit like living in a commune at times. My mum would also take extra jobs, maybe cleaning the church or something like that, not to buy us nicer clothes or to save up to take us on a holiday, uh, but to maybe buy the youth worker at our church a leather jacket because he bought a, bi- uh, a motorbike and mum was really worried that he didn't have the right kit, so she'd take a job so she could save up and buy him a leather jacket. What we had was not a measure of success, but was a gift from God to be shared with other people. The challenge for us all is to put Christ as the God of our work, the God of our abilities, the God of our relationships. We should maximize our talents, even our money, not for our own success though, or to become someone or to gain an identity based on that, but to honor God. The calling on all of our lives is to be responsible with what God has given us and use what we have to glorify God, not ourselves. Over the past six months, this has been an area of my own journey with Jesus that's been a real challenge. Uh, As many of you know, uh, I've just moved to P's and G's, and my family have uh, moved from working in a boarding school in Cheltenham. And to be honest, I've not always found the journey to come here easy at all. We knew that coming to work at this church was what God wanted us to do. We just had a deep inner sense that this was what God was calling us to do, that it was just right. But giving up a job and a community I loved, and a life we loved, a much larger joint salary than John and I now have, a fantastic bunch of friends on our doorstep, And a wonderful school uh, for my children, which they were flourishing within, has been really tough at times. And amongst all that, uh, I knew that I could do my last job as well. To all intents and purposes, it had, in a sense, been a success. But stepping out into the unknown is scary, isn't it? What if I couldn't do this job? What if I'm rubbish? What if I was walking away from something I was good at, from a ministry where I'd seen God do amazing things, to something that I was rubbish at? It's really easy to say, God, I trust you with my life. It's easy to say that he is number one or he's on the throne of our life. That following him wherever that may be is what he's called us to. It's easy to say, God, it's all about you, it's not about me. But when that actually means doing it, it feels really scary uh, because my life fell out of my control. And it really tested my faith and my trust in God and still does to some extent too. And at the end of the day, I just had to strip it down to the bare bones. This is what God was calling us to. He loves me. He loves my family, Lord of our life. Corrie Ten Boom, uh, many of you will have heard of, survived a concentration camp during the Second World War and is the author of a fantastic book called The Hiding Place. And she once said this I've learned that we must hold everything loosely because when I grip it tightly, it hurts when the father pries my fingers loose and takes it from me. So the trappings of success can become our idol. But what about if on our way to success, our very self becomes our idol? Feeling the current obsession with success is one of the biggest lies of the 20th century, and it's this. You can be anything you want to be. I'm sure you've heard that banded around. You can be anything you want to be. Someone once defined this as the idea of the sovereign self, where on your way to achieving success, self becomes your idol. This belief, this worldview, is hugely destructive because it's all about you. It's a, a belief completely reliant on your own ability, your own performance, the sex- success you make of your life. Your self becomes your idol. You are the God of your own life. You can make it a success or you don't. It's all down to you. If you can be anything you want to be, then you just need to go and do it. But what happens if you fail? What happens if you don't make a success of it? What happens if you don't reach the bar? You don't succeed. Your self-worth just drops through the floor. If our success is then threatened, it can have huge repercussions too in our physical and mental well-being and our feelings of self-worth. During the financial crisis a few years ago, as many people's jobs were under threat, one psychologist commented this, that over-identification with work success is one of the many culprits in the epidemic of recession-related anxiety and depression. Our identity, our self-worth, is so wrapped up in our own success at work, our successful relationship status, in our ability to achieve, if that is threatened, our very being and purpose is undermined. In this success-obsessed world, you can easily find out that you are on the throne of your life rather than God. As a result, you go into a downward spiral of perhaps self-doubt, and a crisis of self-worth where you can't achieve what you set out to achieve and to be. But there is good news for each of us. And the good news is this, that in the gospel of Jesus we found a liberating message So we're just going to look really briefly at three truths of the gospel which we can take into this success, self-obsessed world with us. And the first one is this. We are worthy simply because we're made in the image of God, not because of anything we can do. This uh, five-pound note I've got in my back pocket is still worth five pounds. Whatever I do to it, if I screwed it up, if it gets dirty, whoseever hand it ends up in, whichever shop it gets spent in, it cannot become less worth less than five pounds. It is just five pounds. This is simply what it's worth. Our worth is inherent within us. As people made in the image of God, as human beings, we cannot earn or achieve that worth. Our success or lack of it it, makes no difference to who we are as people made and known and loved by God. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, we read this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Jesus Christ to do God's works. Do you know that you are God's workmanship? You are made in his image that makes you worthy. Secondly, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, Then when God sees us, he sees our worth because of our faith in Christ. That is what makes us worthy, our faith in Christ. Ephesians 2 again, verses 8 and 9 says this, "'For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. It is by grace that you have been saved.'" Our good deeds, our charitable giving, our success in the workplace or in our academics or in relationships, our success on the sports field or in the home do not make us worthy before God. There is nothing that we can ever do to make us worthy before God. But it is what Christ has done for us that makes us worthy. We cannot achieve grace but we can receive it. We cannot achieve grace but we can receive it. The only thing that we can do is just come in faith before God uh, as sinners and repent. Say sorry, ask for forgiveness and simply receive that promise in 1 John that if we walk in the light, then the blood of Jesus purifies us from all our sin. We cannot do anything. It's the blood of Jesus that makes us worthy. Paul declares, whilst in prison, and this is the passage that James read for us, I'm just going to read a couple of the verses again. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The most important thing to Paul is that he considers everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Success to him is pressing in pressing in and running the race which Christ has set before him so that he can receive the crown of righteousness when he joins Christ in glory. This is our measure of success. Can we say with Paul that we consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord? That is what success looks like. And lastly, thirdly, we are worthy because we are united with Christ. We are worthy because we're found in him. We're adopted into God's family. We are his children. It reminds me of in Toy Story, uh, where Andy's toy, Woody, uh, in the first film, he goes through like, this massive identity crisis when Buzz Lightyear gets on the scene and he compares himself to the all-singing, all-dancing Buzz Lightyear. And it's only when he sat down one day and he sees uh, the name Andy written on the sole of his shoe that he changes his view of himself and he realizes that he belongs to somebody. He belongs to Andy. He has Andy's name written on him. We are worthy because we belong to Christ. He simply loves us and gave his all to each one of us. On the day that we proclaimed that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life, it's as though He writes His name on our hearts and we belong to Him. John 1 says this: Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. We do not have to achieve anything to be claimed by Christ as His own. Being part of God's family isn't about achieving but simply receiving the love the Father has to offer you in and through Christ Jesus. And isn't this such an important message for our world today? As people strive for success, they strive for acclaim, to be known, to belong, to be someone, to have their identity and their purpose validated by the world and yet have to wade through rivers of guilt and fear and failure along the way. They need to hear this message, that they are loved, that they are free, that they are worthy, that they can belong, and that life, life in all its fullness, is not something to achieve, but to receive freely through Jesus. And so the question becomes, not who am I, based on my success, my relationships, my possessions. But the question is, whose am I?